It's got all those robes on it. Rogues? Roots? <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't say that word. Roads. 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 That's a total weird word, isn't it? <laughs> that is a freaky <laughs> word. <man. laughs> <laughs> very, very freaky. <laughs> I'm stoned. So are you. Oh, we gotta, we gotta maintain. I think you just drive the speed limit. We're gonna be cool. All right, everything's cool. I'll just go to the speed limit. Limit, limit, limit. limit. <laughs> That's another one of those freaky words. Limit. Did you turn the siren on? Dude, I couldn't even find the glove compartment in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <gasps> oh man, we we're screwed. Get in the back! Get in there! Buddy, transporting a prisoner, 12th precinct up in Buckley Town. My sergeant didn't give me any overtime, so I'm trying to do it lickety split. Tell me, officer, do you have any idea how fast you were going? Well, I got a 426 Hemi in her, three quarter cams, nitro boosters. I can get her up to as good as 155. Never do, though, of course, unless I'm chasing a cute chick in a Ferrari. <laughs> I was going about 65 tops. Seven. Seven miles an hour. And normally when I stop people, they pull onto the shoulder. I miss Chris Farley. Just want you to know that. Well, let's talk about pot, shall we? Uh, why don't you go ahead and grab your notes out of your handout. You'll see we're continuing our series on loaded questions. And uh, I, I just want you to understand what today's question is. Now that it's legal, can I put this in my pipe and smoke it? And I will tell you that after the heaviness of these last few weeks' messages, that's exactly what I felt like doing this week. I figured it was the week to do it. I could call it research, you know. Um, and I want to tell you that today's topic is what we call an open-handed discussion. In other words, um, as we've gone through this series, most of the weeks have been uh, not a salvation issue in and of itself, that, that believers have landed on both sides of most of the topics, except for the first week's topic. So if you, if you missed the first week's uh, topic in this series, please go back and catch it online because it's the one that is core, which is about the position and person of Jesus himself. And so I highly recommend going and, and just kind of reconnecting with the centrality of Jesus, how he is the life, the universe, and everything. And, uh, and so we, it all kind of lands on the foundation of Christ. And before I jump into the message, I, I do want to do exactly the same thing we've been doing every week. And that's that we want to ask God for his grace. 
personally we ask for his grace. We ask for grace in terms of the discussion that we might have with brothers and sisters who don't see exactly eye to eye on this issue. We, we, just, we just really understand that if we stand at all, we stand knee deep in God's grace. So let's just ask him for it right now. Jesus, we do ask for your grace and we know that you're here and we know that you love us and we know that in so many ways we see your life just bursting forth. We see it in terms of the spiritual journeys uh, that others are on. We see evidence of your new life in our own lives. And so, Jesus, we just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for covering us and loving us and forgiving us. And on this topic, we really do want to hear from you. We want to hear your heart. We want to be informed by your spirit and by the scriptures. And, And we want to experience your grace as we are on this journey with you. So we pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. So uh, let me just begin. And at the risk of full disclosure, I want you to know this confession of mine that when I was in college, I, I did smoke pot. And it was not legal, and I did inhale. Um, <laughs> My freshman year, my buddy Paul and I actually made a commitment to one another, a goal that we were going to smoke out every day until the end of the term. And I honestly can't remember if we succeeded or not because one of the effects of smoking pot every day is you can't remember things. When I was being interviewed at Overlake nine years ago, I told the elders uh, this reality because I wanted them to understand just my own journey. I want to be honest with them, but also I didn't know that if there were any incriminating photos from the 1980s that would surface on Facebook. I just give them a heads up. Uh, I also want you to know that I quit smoking pot before Jesus got a hold of my life. It's a little ironic, maybe. Um, I'm sure Jesus was behind that decision. I, I just wasn't consciously aware of him. And it was this summer afternoon in Malibu, California in 1989. Uh, this girl that I was dating at the time and I smoked pot... And then we just sat around, rummaging through the the cupboards in that apartment, looking for Cheetos to eat. I I was so bored, and I was so lethargic, and I I thought to myself, I'm done with this. There's too much life to be lived. In other words, pot didn't make my boring life fun. Pot made my fun life boring. So... I just share this with you so you understand. I don't have this horrible, ethereal, vague view of marijuana use. Just a practical, experiential view that has been informed by Jesus and the scriptures along the way. I should also let you know that the buddies uh, that I knew in college who smoked pot with me have all mostly quit. Or at least in, you know, severely restricted their own use for multiple reasons. But there are one or two guys that I know who still smoke pot with great habitual regularity. And I can say that these guys talk and think and joke in a very distinct and stereotypical way. It's like you take Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High and a conspiracy theorist and put them together. And that's sort of what you got. Now, with this discussion, I think it's important to keep a couple of things in mind. Um, one... Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's beneficial. 
right? We've talked about this before, that, that just because something is lawful to do, that all things are lawful, does not mean that all things are beneficial. And we have to realize that just because we might desire something, just because we might, you know, um, there might be an affinity uh, that we have towards something, that doesn't mean that it's God's best for us. And so we've just got to put that on the shelf, realize that's the reality. But then the flip side of that is also true. So let me give you the exact opposite of that. Just because something happens to be illegal doesn't mean that there are no good benefits or no situations that something won't be useful or helpful or preferred. So just a mental exercise right now. Can you imagine a scenario when marijuana use would not only be acceptable but preferred? I'll just give you one example. Um, in the situation of severe pain. Some of you have heard me talk about my dear friend Michelle, who was diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer. Um, It was a a rapidly growing cancer that ended up having several tumors develop in her spine and grow quickly, consuming the bone. And so when the chemotherapy hit, the tumors would shrink, basically leaving her her, uh, spine in, in tatters. She was in excruciating pain, and the doctors kept giving her painkillers and narcotics. And after a while, not only did that medication not touch the pain, but it rendered her so completely out of it that she couldn't take care of herself, let alone her two girls. And so the doctors ended up prescribing marijuana, and it helped with the pain in a way that the other narcotics did not, and it allowed her to be mostly coherent in a mellow sort of way until her life ended a few months ago at age 46. Now, if you want a scripture to back up this kind of an instance, look up Proverbs 31, verses 6 and 7, because they might be verses that speak to this kind of a situation. Now, some of you who read the literature on the pot vote last fall may have been surprised to see that a large number of police and law enforcement officials supported the legalization of it. And the reason is almost entirely practical. You see, cops show up to hundreds of dicey situations. This night after night after night, it's, it's what they do. It's part of the career path. And what they say is it's, it's so much better to show up to a situation where folks have been ingesting marijuana than, say, to a situation where folks have been ingesting tequila. Tequila, of course, being legal. Why? It's because of the effect pot use by itself typically leads to less debauchery, less violent crime, less domestic abuse, less rape, etc. right? Again, marijuana use by itself. Of course, that doesn't always happen, right? On the other hand, the argument says, because pot has been illegal, the only people that you can purchase that through are dealers who are also the ones selling harder drugs, and so purchasing pot leads to greater drug use. That's why it's called a gateway drug which leads to greater crime and greater violence. And so the whole conversation is just a convoluted kind of a mess. Um, It is important to remember that society is constantly trying to figure out what sorts of things are acceptable and beneficial in its day. And so values culturally will always be a bit in flux with science and ethics informing the discussion. But just keep in mind this, that Coca-Cola had cocaine in it until 1929, okay? 
Now, remember that in 1885, cocaine was used for its medicinal properties, which was the purpose that Coca-Cola was originally invented for by a pharmacist. It was medicine. And if it's medicine, it's got to have cocaine in it, right? <laughs> Do you guys know that, by the way? No wonder it was the pause that refreshes, right? Uh, like, whoo I feel good. Okay. In the 1920s, there was a cookie brand that included marijuana as a key ingredient, which I thought was brilliant because once you have a cookie or two, you just want the whole box, right? <laughs> a couple of quotes for you uh, that you probably haven't heard. George Washington says, make the most of the Indian hemp seed and sow it everywhere. <laughs> That's probably news. Uh, how about this from Richard Nixon? Federal and state laws should be changed to no longer make it a crime to possess marijuana for private use. Now, understand this. The only reason I'm using these facts and quotes is so that you'll see that cultures throughout the ages have to come up with norms that they adhere to that they believe will be best for uh, most of its people. And so cultural values will change from time to time. So in order for me to be credible at all in this discussion, we simply must begin with the recognition that marijuana use is not the worst thing in the world. We can easily find arguments for when and where and how its use can be beneficial and even arguments for legality as preferable to illegality in the society in which we find ourselves in. All that to say, and this is very important, that the legality of marijuana issue is a completely different conversation than the discipleship of a Jesus follower. And so that's what I can talk about today. You'll see the, the subtitle of today's message is Marijuana and Discipleship. How does a disciple interact not only with marijuana, but with all substance? And as a pastor, I can only address the issue from that perspective. Because as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we want to build certain values into our life and, and build our lives upon them. And so here's a couple of values. If you're filling in the blanks, the first one, value number one, is we want to be sober-minded if we're going to be followers of Jesus. 1 Peter 1.13 says, so think clearly. Some of your translations actually use the phrase, be sober-minded. Exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. The idea of thinking clearly translated sober-minded. This is a phrase that Peter uses again and again in his short letter. And it's used over a dozen times in the New Testament itself. Now understand, it doesn't say be somber-minded, right? It's not like we're baptizing people in lemon juice and they just come out and the pucker kind of sticks. Like that's, that's not what we're to be about. But sober-minded is the value that we want to adhere to. Our thinking being crystal clear and unmuddied. We're to think sharp. We're to be sharp. We're to be ready for anything at any time, sober-minded. And then the Bible also says, and, and we're to fill our lives with something, not substance, but something else, right? The higher value of not only thinking sharp and being sharp is to be filled with God's Spirit. And so in Romans 8, 6, we read this, letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And we want to invite Him in. We want to invite his presence. We want to invite his power, his guidance into our thinking. 
Ephesians 5.15 says this, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Right? You might want to underline that phrase. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Do not get drunk on wine. Do not be inebriated with substance, but rather be filled with God's spirit. And there's abundant joy and peace and love and guidance and fulfillment that comes from letting your life be informed and led by God's presence and power. And the disciple, by the way, yearns for this, decides that this is the direction they want to go more and more and seeks it. And I would also add this, that there is no downside to inviting God's spirit to fill you. There's no associated regret with inviting God's spirit into your life. You, you don't wake up in the morning with a spiritual hangover, right? I, I, there, there, there's no sense of, oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. No, you invite God into your life, and it just gets better and better and better. Now, in the scripture, we see that there is no prohibition against alcohol, right? So that's kind of the, the topic that we can discuss with great clarity. In fact, in the scriptures... Um, in the Old Testament, we learn that, that wine is actually a gift from God given to gladden the hearts of men. That's what it says in the Psalms. So we see that this is a, simply a part of God's gifting to humanity. And then in the New Testament, Jesus in his first miracle transforms water into wine. And not just any wine. I mean, it's not two buck chuck that he comes up with, right? It, it's incredible, delicious, uh, the, the most delicious wine anyone at that wedding feast had ever tasted. So, so we see that there's this zero prohibition against alcohol consumption, and yet consistently through Scripture, there is a prohibition against drunkenness, against being drunk, right? And, and what being drunk leads to, what inebriation can move to. My favorite passage on this topic is found in Proverbs 23, which says this, Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine, those who go down to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. <laughs> I love that passage. I write in my Bible margin. Sometimes I don't know if you do that, but I write thoughts that I have as I read a passage. And in the margin next to this passage, I write, pledging a fraternity. Right? That's sort of what it looks like. And so obvious prohibition. Now, again, I'm not going to say that alcohol and pot are the biggest evils out there. Although, according to this passage, let's just call it what it is that they can lead to incredible evil. It's like usage is maybe at the beginning of a pathway that is incredibly treacherous and destructive. 
And I will say without hesitation as your pastor that God has more for you. That God wants you to live at the pinnacle of joy and of exaltation and of freedom. He wants your mind to be sharp and your spirit to soar. He wants you to be ready at a moment's notice to start a business or start a ministry or to travel around the world tackling injustice and serving him or be ready to respond to a hurting neighbor anytime, night or day. And all of this gets hindered if we move into drunkenness, mental sluggishness through any inebriation whatsoever. For my friends, uh, you probably already know this about me, but I do enjoy a well-crafted ale. But when I drink one too many, if rather, I should say, I drink one too many, I descend into sin. This is true for everyone. And the problem with alcohol is that it can be hard to know one's limits and one's body. And if you're not careful, you'll think you're fine when you're not fine, and you'll end up doing all kinds of things that you regret. For example, making a choice to drive, having a conversation that turns inappropriate. Uh, You've heard this, friends don't let friends text drunk. That's true. Uh, Maybe you criticize the ones you love or your spouse. Uh, Maybe you start talking politics on Facebook. In fact, I just want you to know, Some of you, I I just have to tell you, every time I see you post politically on Facebook, I just assume you are drunk, right? (laughs) Now, I I, I just want you to see, how does does pot, how does does marijuana have something to say in all this? I, I just want you to understand that Jesus wants you free from that place where you slap your forehead in the morning and you say, what was I thinking? Jesus wants that totally eliminated from your life. And the problem then with pot, and again, this is just in my humble view, is that it's even more difficult to negotiate, right? Um, Like uh, a a cup of beer equals this, a glass of wine equals this. Well, what does a a, a joint do? What is a, a, you know, like a bong hit or whatever it is, like what? And and as far as I can tell, people smoke pot not because they want to enjoy the herbal blend or the aroma, right? But but it's because in some sense they want to get high or stoned. And if there was no middle ground for alcohol, in other words, if if consumption equaled drunkenness, then I firmly believe the scripture would be uh, prohibiting it because it so clearly prohibits drunkenness. So so you got to kind of weigh that into mind. And I guess you could make the argument, I'm a youth, an old youth pastor, so I always imagine having a conversation with one of my high school or college students, and I could imagine one of them making this argument that, well, uh, I don't actually get high when I smoke pot. In fact, I smoke so little, and I'm careful to only take half a breath, and I don't get any benefit from smoking whatsoever. And then I would argue, well, if that's really the case, then I'm pretty sure you're going to quit smoking pot on your own. Because I don't know anyone, I have never heard of anyone who would buy and smoke pot to get no effect whatsoever, right? Like, like it's just a, a silly thought. So, again, value number one is very simple. Be sober-minded. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this might not make any sense to you. I totally understand that. But if you are a follower of Jesus, the idea is that we want to think clearly. We want to be ready at a moment's notice to do anything and everything that Jesus is calling us to do. 
Value number two is be an increasing disciple. An increasing disciple. In other words, our discipleship is to be on the trajectory of increase. That we're falling more and more in love with Jesus. That we're experiencing his lordship more and more in our lives. That, that we're sensing his presence in greater and greater measure, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. Ephesians 5.10 says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Go after that thing. Be on that trajectory. That's a value of a Jesus follower. And I think in this issue and in many issues, we selfish and fallen human beings want to know how far is too far. Again, in youth ministry, we would get this question from students all the time asking about like sexual experimentation. How far is too far? How physical can I be with my girlfriend? How sexual can I be with my boyfriend? Where's the line and how close can I get to it, right? Like if there's a line and I go across that line, I have extended the limits of God's grace. I just want to know where the line is so I can get really, really close to it and still be under the canopy of God's love, you know. And we see that the idea of that question, and we've all asked it in some measure or another, the idea of that question is, is how can I please myself? How far in my pursuit of pleasing myself can I go and yet still claim that Jesus is Lord? Now, a disciple will ask the question from the opposite perspective. How close can I get to Jesus? How intimate can I walk with him? What's the full measure of his presence in my life that I might experience on a daily basis, right? It's not looking at that line, it's looking at him. And you're wanting to draw near to him and be close to him. And, and so that discipleship question is, how, what, what do I need to cut out of my life so that I can experience more of Jesus? What, what can I lay down and not hold on to anymore? What are the sin burdens that I can just release so that my run with him can be even more in step? Those are the questions that we're asking because we want more of his joy, more of his peace, more of his abundance, more of his freedom. We even ask ourselves questions like, how can my proximity with Jesus result in more of his kingdom coming, more of my life being used to combat injustice, to work for the oppressed, to be a blessing for those in desperate need? How can I be so close to him that his glorious invitation to enter his grace and salvation is just leaking out of me in my work and in my classrooms? People are sensing the grace of Christ because I'm walking so close to him. Right? And so... That's a totally different equation, isn't it? And yet that's what we're looking at. We're trying to be that increasing disciple, that follower of Jesus that values intimacy first. And so, of course, the conversation is bigger than pot. The discipleship question is, is bigger than pot or alcohol because the disciple understands that your body is a temple of the Most High God. And so our whole being is a comprehensive whole where we invite Jesus to be Lord over, where we invite him to dwell within. And that means that all substance intake could and should be viewed as a disciple of Jesus. Okay, so is this bringing me closer to Jesus or is this pulling me away from Jesus? I'm talking about like everything, our eating habits, for example. Uh, how many donuts can I eat and be on the trajectory of, of being close to Christ, right? Uh, how, how, potato chips, right? Like, uh, how, how much caffeine? I can't believe I just said that, but that's, that's, that's my issue, right? How much caffeine can I, in, you know, ingest and, and still be on this trajectory? Or at what point is it moving me 
the other way. Nicotine, trans fatty acids, sodium, olestra, right? Think about that for a moment. Any chemical additive that we put in our body that produces loose stools, that should be a clue, right? The temple of God, and, and that's what I'm doing to it. And, and so we just have to ask ourselves, what are we putting inside of these temples that he has entrusted to us? Now, as fallen human beings, let's just confess, we medicate ourselves with all kinds of things. End of a hard day, end of a hard week, most of us reach for something. And it's actually a part of the sex conversation as well that we've had over these last couple of weeks. All kinds of attitudes and entitlements and behaviors. Why? Because life is hard, we feel exhausted, and so we medicate. Meanwhile, Jesus invites us to lean into him and to reach into him and to invite his spirit to do a deep healing and a deep renovation between us. You know, I've heard this over the years. It's not used so much lately, but, you know, I've been accused of being a follower of Jesus because Jesus is a crutch in my life, and I absolutely admit that. Absolutely, he's a crutch. I'm broken. I need a crutch. Jesus is a crutch that actually heals me as I walk with him, but I would just say this. uh, The disciple recognizes that Jesus is a crutch, and he's the only crutch that a disciple wants, right? He rejects all other crutches. He he rejects every other medication that the world or the culture or his flesh seeks to push, but we just recognize everybody has a crutch. Everybody leans on something. The disciple seeks to lean on Jesus. And so, you know, one of the issues that we don't talk about very often is like, like the issue of gluttony. But a follower of Jesus would view gluttony as a substance abuse issue. It's just a different kind of substance. Instead of, you know, uh, you're rating the refrigerator as a form of medication. Now, I do want to say this, um, that uh, food doesn't necessarily affect the sober-minded part of the equation. Although if you've watched a documentary like Supersize Me, you realize our food really does impact our psychology and the seat of our emotions. But what I want you to see is that you and I, we cannot afford to start judging another person on this issue. We have to just view ourselves. Because um, you need to realize that those guilty of gluttony come in all shapes and sizes. Just because you might have a metabolism that metabolizes food at a very quick rate doesn't mean that you're not a horrible glutton. You, You could be incredibly thin and a glutton just like you could be not thin and not be a glutton. Jesus knows your body perfectly, and so Jesus invites you to invite him to be your Lord, the Lord of your body and your mind and your spirit. Let me give you the addiction that I want to pitch. The the one that I want to give myself fully to is the addiction to the living water that Jesus brings. In John 4, 14, Jesus talks about drinking from his fresh water supply, his bubbling spring that he plants within us, welling up to eternal life. Friends, Jesus invites us to satiate ourselves, to quench our thirst in him. And as we do, he walks with us, he brings us health, he brings us wholeness, he manifests his joy and his peace, and an increasing disciple leans more and more completely on Jesus. You might want to picture it this way. Uh, An increasing disciple invites Jesus to be the king over an ever-increasing domain of the acreage of my life. 
And so we seek to be sober-minded. We seek to be increasing disciples. And the, the third value, it's an interesting value. It's the value of honoring the weakest among us, honoring the weaker brother or the weaker sister. And we read about this value in Romans 14 and in 1 Corinthians 10. I'd love to commend those chapters to you. But Paul writes this in Romans 14, 12. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Friends, this is true. This is why we're not to judge one another, because we stand before the Lord. We give an account for ourselves, not for our brother or sister. So we're going to give an account to the Lord, and we're going to say, this is what I did, and this is what I consumed, this is what I ate, and this is what I didn't eat, and this is what I drank, this is what I didn't drink. And we're going to give an account. So it's a personal moment between us and God. So let's stop condemning each other. Right? That's not the goal. Decide instead to live in such a way, check this, that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Okay? Later in that chapter, in verse 21, Paul says it's better not to eat, drink, not to eat food or drink wine or do anything else that might cause another believer to stumble. In other words, as a follower of Jesus myself, I'm going to give a personal account to God, and, and in some way, I'm going to be held accountable to God for my choices. My, my relationship is between me and him alone. And in another way, I'm also held accountable to my brother and sister, is the way I live encouraging them in their faith, or is it hindering their journey? And that's true for all of you as well. So on the one hand, we're primarily going to give an account to the Lord, but on the other hand, people are watching your life, and you're going to be held accountable for your impact on them. And if you're looking for a litmus test in 1 Corinthians 10.31, this is a great litmus test. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Okay. So what we're not about this topic is, is we're not nonchalant about the deep brokenness that substance can bring in a life. Uh, for some here, I know that alcohol and pot use early on opened up this whole out-of-control world of addiction. Addiction has the highest price tag. Addiction is merciless. So we do not flaunt freedom in the face of the addict. In fact, we value the hurting among us. We honor the one in need. You don't need to hear me tell stories, although I know stories, of alcoholism or substance abuse that has cost folks their marriages and their families, their careers and their homes. I have prayed with and counseled folks where substance abuse is so out of control, they've lost their driver's licenses, they've squandered their early potential that God put in their lives. People have, have lost their own companies that they built from the ground up and have had those companies taken away from them. Professional athletes who no longer are permitted to play the sport that God has gifted them to excel at. Right? I have no judgment or no condemnation for the addict. I just want you to understand this. My heart hurts dearly for freedom for all of us. I have so many of my friends at Overlake who wrestle with addiction and who are finding life and freedom in Jesus Christ. We heard some of their stories earlier today. And I am so proud of them. See, Jesus came to proclaim freedom for the captive. And I believe that there are two main ways that he does this. You can write these down. The first is that Jesus proclaims freedom for those who are in spiritual bondage. We're talking about spiritual warfare or unbelief. 
The second way Jesus brings freedom is he brings freedom for those who are in behavioral bondage. That's some kind of an addiction or uh, could be to substance or behavior, any of that stuff. And I just want to say clearly, Jesus loves the user. He loves the addict. He knows all of our past. He knows all of the chemical realities of our makeup, all of the chromosomal tendencies that we have wired within us. He knows how substance grabs some of us like crazy and others of us, not so much. And I just want to say this definitively. Jesus loves you and he wants to save you. And Jesus desires to set you free from anything and everything that's mastering your life. So walk with him and fearlessly pursue his freedom in your life, his health making you whole. I also want to let you know that you might have to build structure in your life as well. You might have to put some things into your life, some accountabilities, some structures that would help you modify your behavior as you are cooperating with the deep healing that Jesus is doing inside of your life. I'll give you a, a, just a silly example. My dog, uh, some of you know I'm a, I'm a re- reluctant dog owner. I love my dog, but, you know, in doses. And um, my dog happens to be, I did a survey last service. I, I was the only one in the room whose dog has seasonal allergies. My dog is allergic to the pollen in the springtime, and it, it drives him crazy. So he's, he itches himself all the time. So... Um, uh, the other day, uh, this is actually a few weeks ago now, he was itching himself like crazy, and, and he, just, he just is, you know, he's digging into himself. He's just always scratching. He's biting himself, right? He, he, with his teeth, he's just going after himself. So he chewed a hole in his tail. And I was so angry. And I was so angry mostly because it just reflects poor ownership, right? If you get a dog with a hole, it's like people look at the dog, they judge me. I'm like, I'm angry at you, you know? And uh, very self-referential here. So, so my dog has a hole in his tail. He's driving himself crazy, itching himself mercilessly. And so I take him to the vet. And I end up paying more money at the vet than I acquired the dog for at the beginning. And, and honestly, it was almost a stewardship issue. I'm like, just put him down. You know, like, no, no, don't. But... <laughs> So, so we pay the vet, and the vet does all the vet things, and he gets this shot, and he's got this antibiotic that he's on, and, and you know, the whole deal, and the spray for the tail, and it's, it's just like this total mess. And I take him, and I get him washed. I, I bathe him two different times, and so by the end of the day, he looks good. He smells good. He's got all this medicine coursing through his veins. New dog, except he still wants to bite his tail. And so we, we talked with him. We reasoned with him at the house, and, we, and we, just, we just described to him how this was a bad way to proceed, and his behavior was not helpful, but rather self-destructive, and reflected poorly on us as owners, and the whole bit. And he was nonplussed. He just didn't care. It's almost like he didn't even understand what I was saying. And so in desperation, we did what you know you have to do with a dog. We, we put some structure into his life, and, and we put the cone on. You know the cone, right? <laughs> now, let me tell you this. The cone is not a permanent solution, isn't it? The, the cone only works in conjunction with the medicine that is already at work inside of him. And, and it was only designed to last for a few days, and we took it off after a few days, when he actually settled down 
and his body was cooperating with the healing that was already taking place. Now, this is true for your life. Whatever discipline you build into your life, whatever structure, whatever accountability, whatever sponsor, whatever buddy you have by your side, whatever it is that you build in in terms of structure, it's only going to work if it's cooperating with the work of Jesus Christ making you healthy and whole. You've got to begin by asking Jesus to come and to do his work. That's the first step. But if you make that your first step, then there is an incredible amount of victory and success that happens by building structure into your life. Overlake has incredible success in our support groups. Our Celebrate Recovery ministry is second to none. Hundreds of people are experiencing freedom on a daily and weekly basis as they get help and support and care in that ministry. Spiritual friendships are like muscle for your journey. Accountability is beautiful. All these things are helpful to build structure in, but only in conjunction with the work of Christ in your life. So I want to end by inviting us to focus our sights on Jesus. Because what we want to be, we want to be followers of Jesus who are sober-minded, who are increasing in the trajectory of our intimacy, and who honor the weaker brother or sister among us. These are our values, but we fix our sights on Jesus in order to do this. So let's read Hebrews 12, 1 and following. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Well, let's do just that right now. Let's pray together. Jesus, what we seek to do in this moment is to fix our eyes on you. We seek to steadily gaze at you, who you are in your presence and your power and your perfection, in the grace that you have for us where we stumble and in the love that empowers us to live the life that you call us to live. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would allow us to drink deeply from that fountain within us, that, that fresh water bubbling up, welling up to eternal life, that we would be empowered by your Holy Spirit, that, that we would live in a fresh anointing of your power and your presence, aware of you and intimately walking with you. And we ask that you'd give us your strength so that we would not become weary and give up, but rather we would be that disciple, that follower of yours that is on the trajectory ever increasing in our intimacy and our proximity to you. We love you, Jesus, and we give you all of us now. And it's in your name we pray, amen. <laughs>